What's going on, everyone? Andrew Pillick here, back again in a podcast setting alongside downtown Stephen Brown again because we are under a new name. A team called the Toronto Maple Leafs took the name the Leafs Forever Podcast, so we are now the Present Day Leafs Podcast, and I really like this name. How about you? I mean, I really liked it too. We had a couple of other names uh, that were not as good. Um, so <laughs> I'm I'm glad that we ended up settling on this one. We should definitely try to like come after the Leafs or something like that for some type of royalties and whatnot for stealing our podcast name. But we're back, and hopefully we're better than ever. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we we are, and and we're gonna be going for the charts. We're going for the number one chart. We're going after all the podcasts out there. So if you have a podcast, look out because we're coming for the number one spot. Now we're not that aggressive because, yes, we are that aggressive. We are going for your number one spot. Anyways, we should jump right into it because uh, I know we have a lot to touch on because uh, we're Leaf fans and we talk a lot. So uh, let's get into it. So Mike Babcock canceled the team practice today in favor of a team meeting instead and there was a lot of interesting stuff that came out of this uh kyle dubas spoke to the media which is kind of rare we don't hear him talk all the time and a lot of interesting things were said andrew first off he started talking about cody cc and the tweet comes in from chris johnson chris johnson says kyle dubas says he finds it mind-boggling that there's a referendum on cody cc every time he makes a mistake the Leafs GM defended CC by pointing to his relatively strong underlying numbers, particularly for someone with his heavy usage. Andrew, what do you think about that? Because I definitely do have some thoughts on there. Well, first of all, I, I mean, I can't help but agree with a lot of the stuff he said. But at the same time, you know, Cody CC is not exactly playing up to par regardless of what his underlying numbers say because I have taken a look at some of those numbers and I'm no stats expert uh, but I did notice that a lot of his numbers were better than they were in Ottawa now unfortunately for Sens fans I mean that's not saying much and I mean no disrespect by that but the the Maple Leafs have a far better team and he's playing with a far better partner in Morgan Riley although Morgan Riley's not very good in his own zone I mean, that almost might be a pro and a plus for Cody Ceci, but Ceci's made a lot of, you know, mistakes already to start the season. And this is something that Jake Gardner took a lot of flack for, but the difference was is that he also made up for it by doing things in the offensive zone. But Cody Ceci isn't doing that. So uh, it's, it's a really tough situation because I respect the statistics and, you know, I understand that there's not just an eye test, there's also underlying numbers. So I can't really knock what Dubas is saying, but at the same time, I'm hoping he's just hyping him up to trade him, to be honest with you, because there is far better options for the Maple Leafs that they could be using alongside Morgan Riley, like a Justin Hall or a Travis Dermott you know, or even Tyson Berry, and then switch Justin Hall to that second pairing, or Travis Dermott, whatever, if you want to have a lockdown type of defensive role, have Hall and Muzzin, whatever, I'm getting off topic, but I really, I was a little surprised, I'm not going to lie, I was a little surprised that he came out and talked about CC like that, but again, you can't really knock the numbers. I'm going to take a little bit of a harsher approach on this, I mean, Cody CC, everyone warned us about him, right true when the trade first happened everyone started panicking 
But then there was a calmness that settled in because we all kind of came to a census agreement that as long as Cody Cece didn't play top minutes like he was in Ottawa, as long as he wasn't used against other teams' top forwards like he was in Ottawa, then it would be okay. Yeah. But right from the beginning, they said that Cody Cece was going to be paired with Morgan Riley. And yeah, okay, Dubis, I see your expected goals for relative to the rest of the team. It's a positive. It's ever so slightly positive, but it's a positive. This is the one time I value analytics, but this is the one time that I am going to play my did you actually watch the games card, Kyle? Because... <laughs> It needs to be said here. This guy, Morgan Riley, doesn't look like Morgan Riley. Now, Riley doesn't look like himself on the power play either. So maybe yeah. that's a separate issue and whatnot. But the thing that really scared us with this player is coming true. I mean, I looked through his game log last year in Ottawa, and he was logging 20-plus minutes basically every single night. And when you look at his game log this year in Toronto, 20-plus minutes every single night. That was the fear with Cody Cece coming in here that we had a coach, and we'll get to him later, that wasn't going to understand this player's role and what he's capable of. Cody right. Cece's best game this season, I thought, because I've watched every single game, just like I'm sure Kyle Dubas has, just like I'm sure you have, Andrew, was against yep. the LA Kings. Now, Andrew, why do you think... Cody CC played so good against the LA Kings. Um, because he really wanted a brand deal with Lays like Drew Doughty. I, oh, I, I respect that. Drew Doughty's a beauty. He's got a really nice smile on him. But I'm going to go because with... because they suck. Uh, yes, they suck. But more specifically, the Kings are slow. And so is Cody CC. And yeah. it's mind-boggling that this player has been used in a defensive-oriented role his entire career and yeah. like you mentioned you mentioned maybe this is just kyle dubas coming out and pumping up the guy's tires because he's getting ready to trade him um i know i i, I sound like i'm really fired up on this and that's because i just got done making a video on this same topic a lot of people andrew seem to believe that there's a conspiracy theory with cody cc that the leafs acquired him to pump and dump him yeah it's true what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that it's trending that way? Or do you think that he's going to be here come playoff time? I think that the fact that Dubas came out and, and pumped him up like he did today, it could go either way, but I feel like he's defending him because that's the player he acquired and he's upset maybe about people, you know, because I'm, I'm they said the same thing kind of last year with Gardner too. Like he was kind of mis, you know, treated a little bit by the media because he was crapped on, even though he was much better than people said. Uh, I mean, people don't look at advanced numbers. They would see that Morgan Riley and Gardner were very, very, very close. If not, Gardner might have been a slight bit better in his own zone than Morgan Riley. But I think that eventually Cody Cece is going to end up on the bottom pairing with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I think that what they're doing with him right now is kind of seeing if he can handle it. I don't really think he can, uh, and I, I don't think they're going to trade him, but it is a possibility. I, I think that it would be the best-case scenario because it would free up a little bit of money for the Leafs too. So, I mean, you never know, but I, I honestly think that there's a good chance Dermot or Hall will be moved up uh, and put into a top-four position, 
and then you kind of have to move CC into that bottom pairing role. But I really hope it's it's a pump and dump, to be honest with you. So you mentioned Cody CC coming down in the lineup, and you mentioned um, Justin Hole and Travis Dermott possibly playing up. What would your ideal Leaf pairings be? Who's Who's on that top pairing for you? I was thinking about it the other day, and I said that you could go one of two routes. You could go Travis Dermott with Morgan Riley, so that way you have a Travis Dermott type of guy who can play both ends of the ice, you know, has that often offensive gift as well, uh, and you know can can bounce off of Riley pretty well. Or you could go uh, with Tyson Berry and just go full out offense craziness and have them play a not against the top line, have them play against the second line. You know what I mean? And then you can have a secondary pairing of maybe a Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall playing against top teams' top pairings because Justin Hall's proven so far this season that he can handle uh, at least, obviously, NHL talent. He's much better than people have been, you know, like Babcock hasn't given him any credit. He's a fantastic defenseman in his own zone to start the year at least. And Jake Muzzin has been one of the better defensemen in the NHL to start the year. This guy's been amazing. And I don't know. I think that as long as you have not Cody Cece in the top pairing, I think that the Leafs will be fine. I really do think that he belongs on the bottom pairing. Uh, and if you give more minutes to your more skilled players and your better defensemen, you're going to win more games. So I would honestly think that it could be a possibility that you see a Tyson Berry with Morgan Riley just to give it a go and then a Muzzin Hall and then you you go from there. It's not bad. You touched on a couple of different points where we can kind of go with this show. Um Tyson Berry is one of them. I'm gonna leave this up to you. Tyson Berry's one of them. Uh what a shame it was that Justin Hall only played six games or so last year. That's mm-hmm. another way that we can go. And how good Travis Dermott has been since coming back from injuries. Travis Dermott is so rude when he's out there on the ice. He just bullies people with how good he is at skating. Yeah, he really is. His head fakes are awesome. I love that when he when he just like uses his head to fake guys out. It's like it's such a basketball tactic. And this guy's literally using it in hockey. Like, he's faking guys out trying to break their ankles on the ice. It is fantastic. And you know what? It works. And uh, a lot of people will probably hate me for saying this, but Travis Dermott honestly probably watched the way that Jake Gardner skates and took a little bit from his game. Because you can see the way that Dermott moves on the ice. You can see a couple little things that Jake Gardner used to do. Because you can crap on Gardner all you want, but boy, could that guy skate. Jake Gardner on ice, beautiful. The man could just skate. So honestly, I'm super pumped for for Dermot, and I'm I'm glad that he's you know a guy that should be in the top four. That the Leafs actually have him as as such a, a depth on the third pairing. Apparently, that the Leafs talent pool is so big that he has to be on the third pairing. It's ridiculous. The guy should be in the top two pairs, no doubt. So. Then that kind of leaves, because Justin Hole playing only like six games or so last year is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Uh, they had Igor Ozhiganov in the lineup in favor of him, and that guy pieced out on locker cleanup day so fast. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, was, that was one of the more lighthearted things uh, that came out from that. 
from that um, very sad day when um, I go. Never mind. We won't. Yeah. We, we won't go back there. Yeah. So, Tyson Berry, I guess that's that's this next topic here. <sighs> what's what's going on with Tyson Berry? Is it Tyson Berry or is it Mike Babcock? Because I'm it's... see I'm seeing a lot of people that are kind of split right down the middle. That it's him that he needs to be better, but I'm not sure. Andrew, what do you think? Uh, I think that Tyson Berry could be better because he is that talented, but I also do believe that Mike Babcock has created a problem. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because he is on technically what you would call our defensive pairing because any pairing with Jake Muzzin on it is going to be a shutdown type of pairing where you want the guys to just you know get pucks away from our net and cleanly get it out of the zone. Tyson Berry, I tried to tell people, you have, I'm sure have tried to tell people, and, you know, a bunch of people who actually watch the games and look at statistics will tell you that Tyson Berry is not good defensively. He just isn't. Before he came to Toronto, he wasn't good. So I don't know why people are really surprised. I mean, it's been said a million times. Tyson Berry is an upgrade in terms of points over Jake Gardner, but they are essentially equals when it comes to their own zone and you might be able to give the edge to Jake Gardner on that one as well in terms of how they break the puck out so um, the problem I have with Babcock is is he's trying to change the way Tyson Berry's playing the game Tyson Berry is an offensively skilled gifted defenseman there is absolutely no reason for him to be given assignments defensively even though he should be responsible he is not a defensive defenseman that needs to focus on that. You need to let that man run loose, pinch, try to score goals and put up points because he would – like the, the man, what does he have, like five points to start the year? Like that's he, like yes, unacceptable. Yes, I dropped him from my fantasy team last night in hopes he has that – five assists. He's got five assists, yes. That's uh, brutal. And he also hasn't really looked too good on the power play. Besides the first game of the season, I was at that game. I was fortunate enough to – to win yeah. tickets at the tailgate there uh and i and i got to come up on stage and make a fool of myself and everything like that it's just anyway uh, besides that first game where he had a really good um he kind of like did like a spinorama he pinched in did like a spinorama move and then fed the puck across the offensive zone to Ilya mikhaev who kind of batted it in besides that play i haven't seen the electric offensive defenseman that Tyson Berry was billed as. Yeah, and I mean, he also touched on the fact that the systems are different in Colorado and Toronto, whereas, like, he was able to do a little bit more pinching in and, and you know, jumping into the zone. But in Toronto, he's not really given the green light as much because Mike Babcock has his systems and the way that he likes to play. And I can't remember who who said it. Some Somebody said, like, some sort of Maserati... Uh, quote on Leafs lunch at some point and they were talking about Matthews and Marner and they're like you know when you get a Maserati you expect a Maserati not just a normal car well Kyle Dubas gifted Mike Babcock a Bugatti let's go with that he gifted him a Bugatti and he's trying to turn him into a Prius so like, why is this happening? Like, I don't understand what, like, where this is coming from. Why is Mike Babcock making Tyson Berry, who might become a rental, into his project? This is, it's ridiculous. We traded Nazem Kadri away 
to acquire Barry as the main piece and Kerfoot was to replace, you know, Kadri. And he's done fine. Like, Kerfoot, if you're looking at his numbers right now, Kerfoot has eight points in 20 games. So he's not on the same pace as, as Kadri is. I think Kadri has more points than him right now, or at least they're, they're kind of similar. But that Kadri deal was sweet. This Kerfoot deal is also sweet. So it's kind of a wash, whatever, right? You just don't have the same physical ability that Kadri brings. And see, that's part of the package too. You're giving away something that you kind of needed, but you're also acquiring a defenseman, another big scoring defenseman. And people are like, well, the Leafs don't need another scoring defenseman. Yeah, they really don't. But when you score the lights out of teams, you don't really need to defend all that much. So... Tyson Berry is not doing that. So it looks even worse on a guy like Dubas, but it's not even his fault. He gave Babcock what they needed, another defenseman that can at least play and and give them a little bit more depth because then you can move. They were supposed to have other moves. They were supposed to have other guys in that top four to offset the defensive liability of Tyson Berry, but Babcock's not using it. He's not using Justin Hall. He's not using Travis Dermott. So... To kind of wrap up that point, I have a I spoke to a couple of Colorado Avalanche fans and they kind of described Tyson Berry as a rover out there. He really is a fourth forward out there and when defensemen pinch, um the wingers are expected to get back there and cover and and whatnot and that's just being responsible defensively as a team and whatnot. And when you have a defenseman like Tyson Berry, he's been praised by Nathan McKinnon uh, I believe the quote was Nathan McKinnon never wanted Tyson Berry to get off the ice because yeah. he was just so electric offensively and then you have former coaches like Patrick Waugh calling him a fifth defenseman way back when in Colorado I believe the quote was from like 2013 or 2014 or something like that and what we're seeing now is closer to the Patrick Waugh assessment than it is to the Nathan McKinnon assessment, but I don't blame I don't blame Tyson Berry for this. I really do believe that his little statement that he said last week was him basically admitting that okay, like yeah, it's it's kind of hurting me a little bit that I can't put up points, but look at the system I'm playing in right now. They they don't want me to be offensive. Like they want me to be a defensive defenseman. He wants do Babcock wants to him to reinvent himself. Like we have this guy for literally less than a season now like he he's gonna go somewhere else and show teams hey listen if this keeps up all season um i still can put up a ton of points trust me just don't make me a defensive defenseman and tell me i need to reinvent myself you know how many years into my career after i've put up a bunch of points already and shown that i'm just a guy that lights the lamp like why is babcock trying to make this guy into some sort of you know, defensive stopgap for the team. It's not going to work, and it's never going to happen. So that gets us into a different topic. And I have a friend who's a data tracker for an OHL team who's a referee in the NYHL, and sometimes I show him some tweets on Twitter and whatnot, and he tells me, Steve, take a step back and get off Twitter. Don't Don't stay in that bubble because... A lot of people use it as an echo chamber. And that's not a true consensus of what everyone else thinks. And you're limiting and you're limiting yourself yeah. with it. Now, a lot of people on Leafs Twitter specifically really want Mike Babcock fired. And 
I mean, I I guess I I get. I'm just gonna come right out and say it. I guess I'm one of them. So um, am I. Darren Dreger. Uh, I know I know that all people on Leafs Twitter also don't like Darren Dreger, but uh, Darren Dreger offering up this bit of information for us on TSN 1050 earlier today. I don't feel like the Toronto Maple Leafs are anywhere close to firing Mike Babcock right now. Anyway, <sighs> now um... I mean. Darren Dreger might be wrong, and they might fire him tomorrow, so who knows? But it's fair to have both conversations here. Yeah. Is it not? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, listen, and this is where people get really, like, frustrated when, you know, sometimes they'll say that they should fire Babcock, and people are like, look at his track record, look at this, look at what he did all these years ago. And it's like, you don't you don't use that when you're talking about a player so why would you use it when you're talking about a coach it's like okay this guy scored 45 goals six years ago well well guess we can't get rid of him now because he might do it again six years later it's like no mike babcock won a cup a very long time ago his systems worked a very long time ago the way he structured his teams worked a very long time ago and do not get me wrong here he was a very, very instrumental part of how this team has rebranded itself, how how he's taught players. And as much as it seems like some cheesy thing, he has taught these players to become good pros. He really has. And you need that. You need a guy to come in and change the culture. The problem is, is that while everybody was changing, he decided, oh, okay, now I've done my job and I'm going to stick to my systems that I used years and years ago and it's not working. You need to bring in a guy that is modern. He's going to change and develop with the team. And people are like, oh, you you can't do that. It'll never work. Well, it actually will work if they do change up the coaching because there's things that are plain as day that he isn't doing and he he should be. We've mentioned them on this podcast already. You know, how Zach Hyman was brought back into the lineup and literally got to play as much minutes as Babcock wanted him to play. And when a guy like Dermott comes back, he eases him into the lineup and he's still not playing top four minutes. So there's a bunch of things that Babcock does wrong. There's a bunch of things that he has done well, and he probably will still do good things. Like he's not the worst coach in the league, but listen, it, there's got to be a change and you know the person Mike Babcock is a is a good guy like you see all the stuff he does for mental health he really cares about his players that's one thing you have to give him and let's not talk about him his character we're not you know we don't talk about people's characters here on this podcast and we're gonna <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna say Mike Babcock is a good person and that I'm gonna leave it at that he's just not fit for what the Leafs are doing right now and that's the sad truth so, I mean, Mike Babcock four and a half years ago promised that there would be pain. And since then, in the four and a half years that he's been head coach, our expectations of this team have changed. Some maybe yep. say that those expectations are way too high and we're not leaving enough room for them to be realistic. But right now, the expectations to just make the playoffs is not good enough anymore. Yeah, it's not. Remember the days when we were just praying, just just squeak in, just squeak in, come on, just <laughs> Wade Dublovich with the poke check on the last day of the season oh, stop, against man. the New Jersey Devils because they stop. rested Martin Brodeur and we didn't get in and then Sundin left and it was just, it was catastrophic. It was, it was tragic. 
it was it it was it, it was it, it was really hard to watch and now our expectations of this team and the culture around it are completely different so i applaud mike babcock for getting us this far it's true and he did wonders with morgan riley he's come a long way and he's really become that electric offensive defenseman even though he struggled so far this season um he worked wonders with nazem kadri when he was here he gave, he gave him purpose and Kadri delivered on it um and the team the, the team has been fun to watch at some points now 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 that we've given Babcock the credit that he deserves let's let's start being a little bit um I guess less optimistic um, let's start talking about the truth let's let's start talking about the truth andrew you know me and this book that i quote oh my quite goodness. often not again i am a big believer of um using other people's words against them because you can't <laughs> you can't argue they can't argue with themselves right and right. this is i'm showing it up on the video um feed uh, but for the listeners that are listening to this podcast, I am holding up Mike Babcock's book from the Olympics called Leave No Doubt. And there's a great quote in here. We both own this book, by the way. It's an amazing, it's an amazing book. It's a really good read if you really want to understand Mike Babcock and the kind of person that he is. But on page 87, there's a quote that I would like to read for everyone. Andrew, you've heard this quote before. Yes, I have. So Mike Babcock says, if you want to be great, be accountable. If you want to be a part of something great, be accountable. And for me, and I think a lot of other people, where we lost Mike was on Locker Cleanout Day last year. Yep. I mean, I hate to bring that up again, but the guy took no ownership for what happened in the back half of last year when the team was basically pay, playing on like a 90 or 80 point pace, something like that. Basically, from January onwards last year, the team was not good. Nope. No boy. Bueno. Took no ownership for that. The team had some injuries and whatnot, but he took no ownership for it. Did not take any ownership for getting out coached in that seven game series. Um, didn't take ownership for anything. Blamed other people deflected for him not having the proper players and it's just like if you run down the list of the players that the Leafs have acquired in the last year and a half or so you got names like john tavares jake muzzin tyson berry alexander kerfoot the list uh goes on and on and on to adding to a core of already uh, Morgan Riley, Frederick Anderson, Austin Matthews, uh, William Nylander, Mitch Marner. It's just like, how much more do you really want? And, I mean, I can add Ilya Mikheyev's name to that list yep. um, as well. Travis Dermott has really rounded into a player for this team. Justin Hole, who knew? Um, you played him who for knew? more than Apparently six... Apparently Kyle Dubas did. <laughs> um, Justin Hole has a really, really amazing story. Uh, coming up from the East Coast Hockey League, the ECHL, um, signing an, an American Hockey League deal, playing for the Marlies, fighting for an NHL contract, 
coming up and playing on the just not playing at all actually on the bench and then being a full-time player this year and being leaned on over the last 10 games or so him and Travis Dermott have probably been the Maple Leafs' best defensive pairing over the last little bit easily and it's just like for me when I look at the title of this book again leave no doubt I have nothing but doubt in this coach and it's just like I'm not criticizing the guy on a personal level or anything like that but to me when I watch the Leafs this season they're playing low event hockey right they're they're not trying to light the lamp they're trying to keep games close and Mike Babcock had that had that quote after the LA Kings game basically where he said I loved that game that game was beautiful when the Leafs won what was what was the score in that game like two to one yeah, it was really like close. It was or like 3-2 three, two. Two or something. Something like that. And it's just like, for me, the way that that game was, Mike Babcock, okay, here's a better way to put it. Mike Babcock is coaching the present-day Leafs. Ah, look at that. I hey, incorpor- look at that. Wow. I incorporated the show name wow, into the show. Wow, name. Wow, breaking <laughs> the fourth wall. Mike Babcock is coaching the present-day Leafs as if it were the same team that he first inherited in 2015 2016 the year that they finished dead last and drafted austin matthews he's coaching this team like there's no skill on it yeah he's not the problem he's not unleashing john Tavares. he's not unleashing uh austin matthews and william nylander he's not letting players like tyson berry morgan riley and justin hole be fourth forwards out there just let the game be chaotic have you um i can't be the only one that's noticed this but when the leafs go down two goals like, when they're down by two or more more goals, they look like a legitimate hockey team. They're fast. Yeah. They play offense. And it's beautiful. We saw it in the last bit of the New York Islanders game where it's just like Babcock finally said, okay, boys, we need a couple of goals here. Go play hockey. And they went out. They played hockey. And they made it really interesting towards the end of the game. Well, and see, that's the biggest thing is people always are like, oh, Leaf fans use this coaching thing as an excuse and this, that, and the other. It's like, no, Babcock is a great coach. The problem is is that he is not a a new type of coach where he can coach this team to playing a skilled type of modern game. He's good at this point in his career if he wants to be the stubborn coach. He's only going to be good for teams that need a rebrand and to be rebuilded and then he needs to be out the door within two or three years. Like, that's that's what he's good for. It's not an excuse. It's This is just the way that he likes to play. He's not in tune with the way that, um, you know, Kyle Dubas wants. There's, like, a famous clip that, that went around of Kyle Dubas talking uh, about uh, the way that he, he figures teams will play well and, you know, how coaching affects the whole system. And as if everybody buys in to the same idea, then your team is going to play better. But if you have one person who has a different idea and is forcing this idea down everybody's throats, it's not going to work out. You're not going to have consistent consistency throughout your whole team. Like if people don't understand that Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe share the exact same type of ideas, they, they want to think forward. They want to be modern thinkers. They want to have, you know, different, they want to try different things. Like I believe Sheldon Keefe at one point, uh, they were down a goal, put all forwards on the ice. Is, is that true? I'm pretty sure. Or like on a power, play, they tested, they tested a five forward power play and yeah. it didn't work out too much. And, but at least he was willing to try that. 
Yeah, like Sheldon Keefe is 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 aligned with what the Leafs want to do. And I hate to break it to people who love Mike Babcock, and and I don't hate you for that. Um, Sheldon Keefe has been stuck around with this Leafs team because he knows that's his job. Like they've told him, if Babcock keeps this up, that's his job, and that's why he's still with this team. So I I can't see. I, I can't see how people think of this as an excuse. Mike Babcock has done a bunch of things this year that has just proven that he does not like the way uh, the skilled, fast type of teams play, and he likes a banging and crashing defensive-style team that the Leafs aren't. That's not their identity. And there's been a bunch of times in the past, like even look at that Washington Capitals series. The, it's almost like that, that was like a glimpse into what the Leafs could have done against really good teams. And that series only went six games, and it was way more fun than any other series that we've seen in a while because they were just playing, going out there and playing the game. They were a little flashy. There was a lot of speed, and they had a good dynamic. And Babcock let them do it. But you see him ever since then, he's, he hasn't let them play that style of game. And again, I'll say it again, people act like Kyle Dubas has not brought any sort of physicality to this team or hasn't brought any sort of grit into this team. Like, see Jake Muzzin, he's a big defenseman that can hit and, you know, he'll fight if he has to. Mikheyev is not a small guy and he's not afraid to run into people. Trevor Moore is definitely not afraid. He dumped Chara twice in the playoffs last year. And Zach Hyman, look at him. He that guy's gritty. There's there's guys all over the team. Janssen, like these guys aren't afraid to at least get in the corners and get stuff done. Justin Hall isn't afraid. Travis Dermott isn't afraid. Like why are we acting like the Leafs don't have guys like that? Sure, we don't have guys that will punch faces in. But last time I checked, those guys don't do anything on the ice. So let let's be honest here. Like this is not a Dubis problem. And th- this isn't on the players just yet, because guess what? If your coach is telling you you can't play this style of game, then you're not going to play that style of game, or else you're going to be sat on the bench like it's happened to how many pl- people this year already, you know, to Nylander most of the time. But it's like you gotta you got to let the players play the style of game that they were brought in to play, and that's a fast-paced, skilled game. Babcock wants them to play like Detroit Red Wings did 10 years ago with a little bit of skill and a lot of physicality. This isn't a team full of Nick Cronwalls and Franzens. This is a team that's going to go out there and score the lights out. That's how they should be playing. And before I get into my next point about old school hockey, Andrew, just to get your live reaction of this, the Carolina Hurricanes were just playing the Buffalo Sabres tonight, and that game is concluded. The Carolina Hurricanes won. And with them winning, they have leapfrogged the Leafs in the standings. The Leafs are currently sitting outside of the playoff picture 20 games into the season. It's not good. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a drink of water because... <laughs> oh, boy. And, I'm, and, I, and I guess I'll get to my point about old school hockey. We're not bagging on old school hockey. We're, we're bagging on Mike Babcock and his coaching tactics because... Gerard Gerard Gallant, excuse me, is, I guess you would call him a trusted hockey man, would you not, Andrew? <laughs> a lot of people went to yeah. bat for him when the Florida Panthers fired him, and he was forced to take that cab uh, to the airport or something like that. I went like to that. bat for him, too. And it's just like last year, and this is something that I've brought up again a couple of times, the very same night that the Maple Leafs were eliminated by Boston in Game 7, um, this was last season, not the two other times. 
Um, Gerard Gallant and his Vegas Golden Knights were playing the San Jose Sharks later on that night in the Game 7 of their own. And the Vegas Golden Knights found themselves down a goal with a couple minutes left in the game with their season on the line. Yeah, this was what I was thinking of earlier when I said the six forwards. And Gerard Gallant pulled his goalie and in an effort to try to tie the game because they needed one goal or else their season was over does not ha- does not matter what happens after that he put six forwards out on the ice and they tied the damn game yeah i mean i'm not i'm not asking for mike babcock to reinvent the wheel and i'm not sure and i you definitely aren't either no nope. we're, we're just asking him to be a little bit open to just new ideas but he's not like we need to get past that he's not he never will we've already learned this they had meetings every year and this year was probably the most serious meeting they've ever had because it looked like from there were some conflicting reports that shanahan pulled the plug on dubas firing mike babcock there is multiple reports that came out that that is a thing that could have happened and it wasn't from just any regular source. They're saying that Mike Babcock has been threatened to be to be fired twice already. So he is I think we're past that. Like honestly, I'm not optimistic about it because we've seen it like two years in a row now, the exact same thing, and now this is the third year in a row we're seeing the exact same things. Like in what world is Zach Hyman playing more minutes than Austin Matthews? Like what like what? And John Tavares? And when Leo Komarov was on the team, remember the game he was playing in three-on-three overtime? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) well, look at the guys he's used on on three-on-three overtime this year. Like, he doesn't, he really doesn't care. Like, he just goes by the way he wants to. And and it's it's really not fair to a team with this much skill. Like, you brought up the six forwards thing with Gerard Gallant. You remember what happened when the Leafs needed a goal and we threw Patrick Marlowe on the ice? Oh, yeah, that guy, the guy who is, no offense, not Patrick Marlowe like he used to be. And I, I love that man. I really hope he just absolutely lights the lamp in San Jose this year. I could care less if he scores 30 or 40 goals and people point fingers. I, I just, I love Marlowe. I think he's a great human. I've met him multiple times. He's a fantastic person. And I want, I wish him all the best. But the way he was playing for Toronto in his last season was not good. It just wasn't. And why is he the one jumping over the boards when you need a goal? Or Zach Hyman, who is basically, you know, what did he do? Tear his ACL? Uh, and he was still killing penalties with and the torn ACL. And he was still ACL. killing penalties. And the, pow- and the penalty kill for the Leafs in the playoffs was one of the reasons why they lost. And I'm not going to fault Zach Hyman with one no, ACL. Hyman's a warrior. You can't blame him. He's been tossed over the bench. He's got to go. He's, he's just got to go and do it. And... You know, good on him. He's a warrior. But at the same time, he probably should have said something. But you know what? I'm sure they know. I'm sure they knew. But, uh, I mean, like, I love Zach Hyman, and, and don't get me wrong, but, like, why why is Zach Hyman, like I, I mentioned earlier, the Dermot stuff, like, why is Dermot being eased back in while, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's comfortable. Him and Hall are literally the Leafs' best pair right now. But yet, Hyman was getting second power play ice time he was killing penalties and was playing a ton of minutes five on five i noticed that right away i saw him on power play too and i was like oh 
that's interesting. Yeah, like he <laughs> didn't get eased in. They threw him with John Tavares on the second line or the first line, however you want to look at it. But Matthews and Nylander have been a much better duo this year. So I would say that the Tavares line has been the second line. And he's he's getting big minutes. It's like, Babcock, what are you doing, man? Like, I really don't get it. Why are, like, why are you giving these guys these huge minutes and our good players are not getting these minutes? Austin Matthews should be playing those minutes. A lo- and I said this in my season preview. A lot of teams around the Leafs this year got better and they will be getting better. Teams, The NHL's fun. A lot of teams are able to make big moves and develop players all at once and a lot of teams can get hot, you know, at any point. And... You know, unfortunately for the Leafs, a lot of teams have gotten better, and there's teams that are better than them still. Like, like you just said, Carolina, Buffalo has shown a lot of uh, of flashes this year. You got, of course, the usual su- suspects. Tampa, there's no way Tampa's gonna not be in a playoff position. Boston is killing it. Like, the Leafs can't expect to just play a half decent game and hope that they get in. Like it does. Like they're way better than that. So why are we playing like we're just fighting for a wild card spot here? Babcock, Babcock wants them to play like that almost. It's ridiculous. Andrew, you mentioned you mentioned other teams. Uh, let's talk about the Maple Leafs' upcoming games before we skedaddle on the mm-hmm. present-day Leafs podcast. Uh, their next game is tomorrow night against Boston, and I guess when you guys are hearing this, it will be tonight. Um, and then you got the Pittsburgh Penguins the very next day on the road. And it starts a little bit of a road trip, but the next five games that the Maple Leafs are playing are against playoff teams. I believe (laughs) six of the wins that they have this season are against teams that are currently 25th in in the standings or lower. I saw that tweet earlier today. In this next five-game segment, because Mike Babcock likes to break the season down into five-game segments. And if you don't know what he means, every five games, there's 10 points available. And if he gets six out of 10, that's a 98-point pace and should be enough to get you into the playoffs. Yeah. How many points are the Maple Leafs going to be walking away with in this five-game segment playing Boston, Pittsburgh, Vegas, Arizona, and Colorado? Are you, are you are you are you, I'm I'm not confident that they can beat any one of those teams with the way that they're playing right now. I'm going to say 5. 5? Yeah. Um I think that they would be lucky to get 5. I mean, the game against Pittsburgh, they're catching a little bit of a break. Sidney Crosby's not going to be in the lineup. Yeah, get better soon, Sid. The Colorado Avalanche are of course banged up with Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog out of the lineup, although I'm not sure if they're back yet. Definitely not Rantanen. With no. the way that his ankle uh, kind of blew up. Um, yeah. But the game against the Vegas Golden Knights, they played them earlier in the year, and that was with Mel- Malcolm Subban in the night in the net. I assume that Marc-Andre Fleury will be in for this one. That's going to be an unbelievable, uh, an unbelievably tough game. Yeah. Uh, the Arizona game, hey, there's going to be a familiar face. Uh, Austin Matthews is going to be back in his hometown, and the Leafs will be playing Phil Kessel. I love Phil Kessel. That'll be a fun night. I love Phil, too. Uh, Colorado, they get a glimpse at Nazem Kadri and the Colorado Avalanche. And then they got three off days, and we'll take on Detroit, and then a home-and-home with Buffalo to end the month. How Mm. much longer do you think 
Mike Babcock has to turn this ship around. This this road trip could be it for him. This road or this trip next or swing of games. Let me let me rephrase my question. Is it up to Mike Babcock to turn this ship around or is it the players that are failing him? I'm going to bring it up again. The players will play for a coach that actually gives them their proper duties. And if you're telling Tyson Berry to reinvent himself, that's not going to happen. You're playing Zach Hyman more than your best forwards, then it's not going to happen. You're giving defensive zone starts to defensemen that are not defensive defensemen, then it's not going to happen. So uh, here's the thing. The Leafs are going to have to dig in and play as hard as they can. But if Mike Babcock doesn't properly coach them the way that they're meant to be coached, then he is going to lose his job. And you know what? At the end of the day, I like Mike as a person, like I said earlier, and I think that I, you know, I'd rather the Leafs be a winning team and have Babcock as the coach and everything is fantastic, but that's not what it's like right now. And it's not an excuse. There's no excuses here. They need to win hockey games, and if they come out of this only winning like two games, if that, like there's there's some going to be a, a new coach. Like I can't see how like they'll be under 500. So, I, I don't know how you can keep a coach this far into the season if, if the Leafs don't win those games. Especially if, if they see flashes of greatness. Like, if Dubas and Shanahan and these guys are watching and think, okay, these guys are electric, they're at least playing, but there's still something missing here, they'll have no choice. Because what else are they going to do? They can't go out there and acquire somebody else in terms of a big-name defenseman unless you move out a huge contract and i don't think that kyle dubas is prepared to do that with the names that he has up front he likes that his forwards are locked in and he likes some of the defensemen that he has but they're not playing in the proper positions so i don't know i really think that this this next swing of games that you just mentioned if they do if they don't come away with at least five points this babcock could be gone all right, well, I think, Andrew, we've left the audience a lot to ponder over until our next show, which should be pretty soon. So for all past, present, and future Leaf fans, uh, my name is Downtown Stephen Brown. And uh, I am present-day Andrew Pillick. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Peace. Peace.